Hello again, and welcome to another installment of Truthfully Awkward, where we compare and filter cultural events and beliefs through the Word of God. And it is truthfully awkward, especially when we're talking about the topic we're talking about today. And today our topic of discussion is the sovereignty of God. Today especially, uh, we have seen many things churches and teachers are saying that can be really confusing, that can be disheartening even. I know personally, I did not understand God's sovereignty in full until Rona hit. And I saw the whole world falling apart and panicking. I stopped myself and thought, wait a minute, why are believers losing their ever living minds? Well, can we just start out with a definition of God's sovereignty? Yes. First, I want to say sovereign is a title which can be applied to the highest leader in various categories. Sovereignty is the supreme authority within a territory. You know, God owns this whole everything, so he is sovereign over all of it. For me, I really started to grasp God's sovereignty when I went through the Bible from front to back. The Old Testament exemplifies God's character, his sovereignty, and his holiness. He's more powerful than anyone or anything, and he knows all and is everywhere. So Job 42.2 says, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Nebuchadnezzar says after coming back to his sanity and declaring God the ultimate authority, in Daniel 4.35 he says, All the inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing, but he does according to his will in the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of earth. And no one can ward off his hand or say to him, what have you done? Uh, Psalm 115.3 says, but our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. Proverbs 16.9 says, the mind of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. That's how sovereign God is. Yeah, and it's also important to note that God's sovereignty is the final say. God is, in fact, sovereign. I have been reading this book called The Sovereignty of God by Arthur Pink, and his definition of the sovereignty of God is, you know, the supremacy of God, the kingship of God, the godhood of God. Also, to say that God is sovereign is to declare that he is the governor among the nations. And that's from Psalm twenty-two, twenty-eight, 28. And he's setting up kingdoms, overthrowing empires and determining the course of the dynasties as ple pleaseth, I hate those, like when it's like pleaseth him best, <laughs> pleaseth him best. And I love that he says in conclusion to the definition, such is the God of the Bible, the God, God of the Bible, Bible. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like God of the Bible, not what the culture says, not any of that nonsense. Okay. And also in this book, he mentions and talks about modern Christianity. And this book was written like in the 1920s or something. I'm not even sure. I probably should know. I'll put it in the references. But it was interesting to see that even the church then would diminish the sovereignty of God and behave as though, you know, God was imperfect and puny, like this tiny little God. And today the church still diminishes the sovereignty of God. And many claim that God cannot do anything on earth without the help of us godlike believers, air quotations. 
uh, because he doesn't have dominion on earth. Therefore, he cannot do his work or his will without our help. And this just isn't true. This is something that I've seen constantly in sermons, like Leah and I have watched sermons fully through and just have seen in the culture and churches today, just the sovereignty of God completely diminished. And I recently watched this Body Bachman sermon talking about discipleship and the gospel and how to have a solid foundation in the gospel in order to understand God's sovereignty and to disciple our kids. And he says, God doesn't need us. We aren't awesome, but God redeems us by his grace through Christ Jesus. God doesn't say, I need you. Like, I just, I love in that sermon, how he's just like, but God needs you. He loves you so much. He needs you to do his will. And he's just longing for, you know, it's just puny, tiny little God who is imperfect, who's fallible and just weak God. And the thing is, is if we adopt this, then God isn't God. And it's funny because when I was watching that sermon, I knew exactly who he was talking about. If you watch this sermon, let's see if you can catch the false teacher. Um, (laughs) But I could, I seriously knew exactly who he was talking about. I knew what sermons he was talking about. And I was like, wow. And he just, without even having to call out the teacher, just called out the doctrine, not the person in the theology and said, this is wrong. You know, Proverbs 1921 says many are the plans in the mind of man, but the purpose of the Lord that will stand. And and Psalm 135, six says, whatever the Lord pleases, he does in heaven and on earth, in the seas and all the deeps. I think um, people have a tendency to diminish God's sovereignty when they put themselves on a pedestal and they pull him down. We can't say God is sovereign and also say he needs me to do anything. So many people make themselves equal to Jesus while he was on earth. And I believe that is just, it's wrong because you're bringing him down and you're elevating yourself. I have the Holy Spirit living inside me. That does not mean I am like Jesus. I don't have the divinity. I just have him living inside me and he'll work through me. And it's wonderful, but I am not Jesus. It doesn't mean I'm like Jesus in the sense of his godhood. It simply means I have his spirit living in me, working in me and through me. I can't take any credit in the works that he does through me because it was his power. It's not my power that did it. Yeah. Jesus was God fully on earth. He simply allowed himself to be subject to being a human to the point of death. Philippians 2.9 says, being found in the appearance as a man, He humbled himself to the point of death, even death on the cross. He was in the appearance of a man. That doesn't mean that he wasn't God. It just means that he humbled himself into being a man. Still fully God, and he doesn't need anything from us, like you said, Mm -hmm. in order to do anything on earth. One of the problems I see with people's view of God's sovereignty is their view of of God's trinity. So God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit are three persons and one being. Sometimes I think people unhitch Jesus from God the Father and the Holy Spirit in a way that puts him in opposition with them. I mean, you see it all over the place right now where people try and say Jesus opposed what was written in the Old Testament, but 
he's the same God as wrote the Old Testament. They put more emphasis on his words in the New Testament, and they neglect the fact that they're all one and in unison. And at no time has Jesus ever been less God or more God. He, he doesn't negate any of the things that were written before he was on earth talking. The same God that said, these are the Ten Commandments, also said, blessed are the poor in spirit. And we need to remember our view of God is shown throughout the whole Bible. It is all there to show us our need for Jesus and show the different facets of God. If we take any part and push it to the corner, we're pushing aside an integral part of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit is not there simply for experience, like a genie, but to guide us, to convict us of sin and help us walk through this world in a way honoring to God and sanctify us and, you know, all of that. So God, being the one who created all of us for himself and his glory, is the only one who can tell his creatures and creations their roles in life. He's the only one that can make the rules and the only one who has the right to decide the punishments or consequences. You know, too many people these days think that they can say, you know, God didn't say that was a sin or, you know, I think it would be okay. This is your truth. This is my truth. It's just not how it works. He formed us in our mother's wombs. He knows what is right for us, you know? Yeah. So through the Bible, God tries to tell his people that he says over and over again, you will know I am God. Isaiah 46, 9 says, remember the former things long past for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there's no one like me. Psalm 46, 10 says, cease striving and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I would, will be exalted in the earth. I mean, if you just go through first chronicles god shows his sovereignty hugely you know the whole old testament is god yeah (laughs) i mean the whole bible is but and it's it's sometimes whenever um you're because i i never read the old testament correctly i guess you know how everyone pushes you read the new testament do that but when i started reading the old testament with new eyes you know like when god is just you're reading the Bible for the right reasons, not just like, I'm going to cherry pick this and prove someone wrong. You know, um, when it's wanting to desiring to know God and know his character and know his sovereignty and understand fully, because I don't think we'll ever fully understand like what you were talking about. Like God is God, his character and his attributes are unchanging. But I, I think in a way that's really beautiful just because we're able to, re- we have the Bible today and we are able to read our Bibles and know, especially through the Old Testament, seeing all of just God and all of it and his character to understand his sovereignty and his character. Absolutely. Really like that. Yeah. If you want to know God's sovereignty, read Job 38 and on. Yep. I mean, God says over and over again, pretty uh, much pull up your pants and speak to me like a man, you know, <laughs> I think he says, I think he says, gird your loins, but you know, yeah. be a big, or in Exodus, <laughs> in, in Exodus, um, he shows all the signs and wonders and plagues. He feeds the Israelites manna from heaven and opens rocks to pour out water in the desert. He straight drops people dead. 
for accepting his glory. Not even saying I'm God. They accepted his glory. Other people were saying, look, it's a God. And they didn't say, I'm not God. And he just dropped him dead. Yeah. You know, that's Acts 12, 21 to 23. It says, on an appointed day, Herod, having put on his royal apparel, took his seat on the rostrum and began delivering the address to them. The people kept crying out the voice of God and not of a man. And immediately an angel of the Lord struck him because he didn't give God the glory and he was eaten by worms and died. Tell me God is not sovereign. I'm only laughing. You know, I'm laughing just because it's like, what? (laughs) Yeah. If you read the Old Testament, it's like, oh, for example, when you're reading the Old Testament, this stuff really happened. God really did these things. This Bible is not just something full of little children's stories. And it's, it really happened. And when you think about like, whoa, that really happened. It reminds me of my daughter because, you know, this last Christmas, they had the Christmas star. Like you could see it, the, the, what is it? Jupiter and Saturn and all that. And I just remember the wonder and the awe in her eyes when she realized that the Bible was real. I had been reading the Bible to her. I had been doing all these things, but she goes, that's real? What? She was just like, I've never seen that look on her face before. Just awestruck that the star is real. Like, (laughs) she's like, I thought that was just like a Bible story. I'm like, Sina, Bible stories are real. Like that really happened, you know? And she's like, what? And if we read those things with those eyes, we're supposed to come to Jesus like little children. And when you come like a little child, you, you look up to your mentor, to your whoever, and you look for direction to them. And so when we come to God, we are to look at him and just be like, wow, what am I supposed to do? How do you want me to live? Who do you want me to be? How do I do that? And yeah. if we're reading our Bible, it answers all those questions. You just have to read it. And even if you feel like you can't or you don't know how or you're not smart enough or it's too hard, you can. And God will give you the ability to understand it in the appointed time. You just have to keep seeking him. All right. So another note of God's sovereignty that I wanted to mention when others may claim that God does not choose or dictate leadership in the world. I know that's like a hot button topic right now. I've heard a lot of different arguments about that. Like people saying like, well, what if there's evil leaders and what if there's all this stuff? So, you know, they say if there's an evil ruler, then God cannot choose that person and put them in their place. This would argue that God is not sovereign over all and over all things. And this would make God out to be not in control, puny, and that when an evil leader ascends to power, that it somehow catches God by surprise. And, oh, I don't know what to do. It's just like makes me cringe because I'm like, so you think God is like, oh my gosh, this guy was just raised to power. I am so surprised. I had no idea. Whatever will I do? It's like, really? Like God is guys, you know, like whoever says that, not you guys listening, but you know, guys, like, why are you saying things like that? (laughs) Because, you know, it's like, oh no, God needs us to fulfill his will. Whiny, puny, 
nerdy God. I don't think so. Um, this also is just, it's just not so. Proverbs 21, one says the King's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. And when I read that, I was like, whoa, because even if a leader thinks that he's in control and he doesn't know God, God knows him and, or her, and God can lead the nations whatever way that he wishes. And I think of Pharaoh and Exodus because it says, but the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh and he did not listen to them as the Lord had spoken to Moses. And that's Exodus 9, 12. So God hardened Pharaoh's heart, even though Pharaoh was evil. He, he didn't know God. He didn't worship God. You know, they had a bunch of pagan idols. They were, they were not believers in the God of the Bible. God still had control over Pharaoh's heart. He could harden his heart, soften his heart. God is in control, you guys. And, was, and this was after the plagues. And for God's own glory, he hardened Pharaoh's heart. Because, you know, the signs and wonders like what Leah was talking about. God is absolutely sovereign. He can change the will and hearts of evil men, harden their hearts, direct their steps. And then when we take Pharaoh into consideration, you know, he was an evil man. And earlier in chapter seven, like I just mentioned, you know, that he was evil. He was not a good man. And God tells Moses earlier in chapter seven, he tells him what he's going to do to Pharaoh. And he goes, but I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my hosts, my people, the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. And that's Exodus 7, 3 through 4. And that's God just laying out his plan openly to Moses. Like, he's not going to let your people go. I'm going to have all these signs and wonders. I'm going to harden his heart. And the only purpose of that, from what I read, you know, from my interpretation of that is for God to be glorified, to show his glory and mightiness. Because I think I read, I can't remember where I read somewhere, there was like 1.5 million Jews like Israelites, enslaved. So for all of Egypt and their Pharaoh, and there's all those, all those Israelites, and they're led out of the land of Egypt. And I mean, Pharaoh is just, it's kind of like God put him in his place and said, no, hun, you're puny. You're puny and I have control over you, whether you, you, you know, follow me, whether you worship me or not. God is mighty. He's not just some like we've been really repetitive. He's not a puny, needy, weak, insecure, feeble God. Because <laughs> if he was any of those things, even just one of those things, he would not be God. Well, if you look at the gods that he dealt with, it would make sense as to why he didn't believe God was huge and mighty and powerful. But I mean, like, come on now, after all of the things that God did, there's a point where you have to be like, okay, you know, you're awesome. And I suck. That's, there's gotta be that point, but he didn't do that. I mean, yeah, because God hardened his heart. Yep. If you look throughout the old Testament, you know, God works through wicked Kings, you know, God doesn't cause anything that's evil or sinful, but he can totally make it what he wants it to be. He can use it for his glory, you know, but talking about Pharaoh, Romans 9, 15 through 24 says, for he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy 
and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then it does not depend on the man who wills or the man who runs, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose, I raised you up Mm. to demonstrate my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed throughout the whole earth. So when he has mercy on whom he desires and he hardens whom he desires, you will say to me then, why does he still find fault for who resists his will? On the contrary, who are you, O man, who answers back to God? The thing molded will not say to the molder, why did you make me like this? Will it? Or does not the potter have a right over the clay Mm -hmm. to make from the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for common use? What if God, although willing to demonstrate his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction and he did so to make known the riches of his glory upon vessels of mercy which he prepared beforehand for glory even us whom he also called not from among jews only but also from among gentiles i mean that's us we're the gentiles we are his common use vessels that he had mercy on (laughs) Um, I believe in this, that God is showing us how he makes different people for different things. Mm -hmm. You know, Jesse was talking about God raising up leaders, and this is a perfect example of him showing that he makes people for different roles. The Jews, God's chosen people, and Gentiles were not. I, being a Gentile, have had much patience from the Lord. I believe he creates us for certain roles in life also. My role is in my household and doing this podcast, which is, you know, a blessing that he has put into my life. And others have very different roles and they have leadership roles and, you know, they go out and are missionaries and do just amazing things. Well, I work inside the confines of my role. (laughs) Yeah. But he gives us grace for our different roles. And I think a heart for the position that we're in and what we ought to be doing for him, what he wants us to do, you know? Something I wanted to mention too about what you just said is how humbling it is sometimes because it reminds me again, referring back to the uh, Vadi Bachman, I hope I'm pronouncing his name right, sermon when he's talking about, you know, you're not awesome and God doesn't need us. For me, like watching that was very humbling, especially to look at God's word and see in my own heart, I struggled with that for a while because, you know, I wanted to believe, and I mean, God can do whatever he wants. Like I want my life to be used for God's great purposes, not my own and God's will and his sovereignty and what he wants in my life is probably not what I see is the way, you know, like what you were talking about, the different spheres, just functioning and doing, you know, what God wants me to do. And it's, it's kind of like that fight against the flesh in the flesh, whenever you're going by your own desires and your own wants and needs, it's hard sometimes as a puny little human to grasp, why would God want me to do these? You know, why is this it? You know how the culture talks about mediocrity and, you know, I don't want to be mediocre. I don't want to be just this mediocre little person floating around, but to God, that's not mediocre (laughs) when we are humbling ourselves and you know, honoring God in all things because he cares about all things. I hope I'm making sense, but it's just well, more people, 
people today think that being a mom and staying at home and raising your children is mediocre. They think that that is like less than if that's my role, I need to take it serious because I am raising this isn't a mediocre job. I'm raising little humans. Mm -hmm. You know, I want them to love the Lord and go out and be able to be outstanding citizens, helping people, loving people, all of that, you know? So yeah, I totally agree. And to kind of piggyback off what you said about the mediocrity of motherhood and just in the culture, um, that was something that I struggled with too, because, you know, working moms, side hustles, things, not everybody does that. So for me, even this podcast has been just an absolute blessing from God. Like to me, it's just, we're not getting anything from this, you know, we're not making money off of this. And according to the culture, that's like all you should be striving for is to be like super duper heightenedly successful with all this money and rolling in the dough. I mean, I'm just, I know it's probably an exaggeration, but that's like what I get when people are like, Oh, you just stay home. And I get that all the time, especially homeschooling. It's not easy and it's not mediocre. And I'm telling you from the trenches, <laughs> it's like really not. It's like such a huge deal. If you're a stay at home mom, you know, what, you know what we're talking about. And if you're a working mom, great. Like that's, that's what, you know, that's where you're at either way. But for me, like, I think that the culture just weighs in so much that we need to like shut out the culture and hold on to our Bibles. And what does the Bible say about the importance of what we're doing? And because I know this is kind of a rabbit trail, but I just wanted to touch on that because with God's sovereignty and his will, his perfect will for our lives, you know, it, for me personally, it was very humbling to be like, I'm not awesome. I, I can't do all of it. I'm not enough. I need God. I, I don't, I'm not enough. I am not a good person. And it's okay. Yeah. And it's okay. And it's like, <laughs> because that's, it's okay. It's acceptable. And I was, this is just something funny. And I mean, if you don't want to talk about this, this is fine. I don't know. This is just responding to what you just said, because I was watching this. I think it was actually when I was watching the Vadi Bachman sermon, this ad popped up on YouTube and it was this couple sitting there talking about they had this Christian couples therapy on people realizing that they're enough and that they're great and that God loves them. And I almost wanted to comment, but I'd be commenting on the Vadi Bachman video and it's like, dang it. I want to be like, y'all need to shut up. Like, <laughs> like, because I was like, you know, she's, she's like, you just need therapy to love yourself so you can love someone else. And that, you know, it was the typical you're enough and you're great and God loves you and you're so awesome. And if you just tap into that, you know, and how awesome you are, then you'll get married. Like that's literally what the message was. And I was, oh, it's like, maybe it's not God's will for you to be married right now. Do you ever think about that? Like God knows all things, but it's just, again, it just bothered me because I'm listening to the sermon and then there's this ad completely opposite of what he was talking about. And I was like, that's what he's talking about right there. That I'm awesome. I'm great. And if I just, well, isn't the gospel message that we aren't awesome and we aren't great, but God is awesome. And he loved us even though we're not awesome. 
Yes. I mean, <laughs> grace. It's that's, and I had a false view of grace for the longest time growing up in assemblies of God. And I mean, like I said, my parents, it wasn't my parents. It's just interpretation on my own. And that's like, when you see all those people that fall into the new age and stuff raised in Christian homes, it's just sometimes that happens and why we need to make sure that we're teaching our kids, the biblical gospel and the biblical foundations that they need and be very, very truthful with them about and be careful what we're um, allowing into our minds and who we're listening to because it's really easy to adopt a, a bad theology something that's dangerous you know it's easy to listen to people and then they they take a verse and they talk about this verse and it sounds great yeah but if it's not in the context of what the bible said you know it's not a great verse i mean there's certain verses that people use over and over to sway people to bad theologies. All you have to do is go look at the verse, go look it up, go from before the verse, through the verse and after the verse, and you can see God's heart in it and his opinion. And his is the only one that matters. Yes. Sorry, rabbit trail. No, I know. <laughs> but, you know, I wanted to say too that my daughter asked me, the other day, right before bed, of course, mom, what is sin? And I was like, I am taking this opportunity a thousand percent. I don't care how late it is. And we looked up the definitions of sin. We looked at scripture on sin because I was reading Proverbs to her. She was falling asleep because she couldn't sleep and she was tossing and turning. And so I started reading Proverbs and she was actually listening because she was calm and still. And she goes, mom, what does wretched mean? What does wretched sinner mean? And I'm like, I love those questions. (laughs) I will explain it to you a hundred percent. Like, you know, and so we started talking about that and she's like, but God loves me. Right. And I was like, yes, God loves you. Although you are a sinner, because if without Christ, you know, God, and it's like kind of hard with a six-year-old to like, okay, so the character of God, like, (laughs) is unchanging, you know, God, and I told her, you know, God is just, which means, you know, God, I can't remember how I explained it. I tried to, like, make it to where she, she, you know, she could understand, and, but her main concern was, like, even though I'm a sinner, God loves me, right? Like, and I'm like, yes, because of Jesus. And I almost cried. I was like, yes, because Jesus came and died for us. So although we're sinners and we're wretched, like by nature, like from the beginning, you know, it was just so awesome. And I was like, yes, she's asking questions because she was still and listening. Cause sometimes when we're reading the Bible, it's just, you know, okay. A six-year-old Bible. Yeah. She's just a six-year-old, but she was still, and we're, it was just Proverbs, just reading Proverbs. And it was talking about you know, obeying your parents and though, you know, talking about the wretched sinner and the depraved. I can't remember what chapter it was, but she was just like, what does that mean? What is a wretched sinner? And I was like, yes. <laughs> so well, we- that's part of the best part of the gospel is that it says that God showed his love for us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Yeah. So it wasn't because we were good, you yeah. know, and I told Our her righteousness only can only come good. through him. And it was also yeah. so awesome because she talked about, well, like, and it was awesome because I could explain this to her because she goes, sometimes you sin, but it's not that bad. And I was like, mm. <laughs> you know, I was like, well, 
all sin to God is bad, but when we, you know, you ask for forgiveness and because of Jesus, we're forgiven. So we need to try and live sinless, but it's, we're nobody's perfect. Like we're never going to be perfect. We can't hit the mark of perfection because of we're born into the world and, you know, things like that. So it was really beautiful. And I was so happy that she was asking questions because, you know, when you're like, oh, please ask questions. Like, I want to explain this to you. And she knows who Satan is. She knows what, now she knows what sin is. And I'll keep, you know, talking to her about that. But I just thought it was so sweet that she's like, but God loves me, right? <laughs> and I'm like, yes, he does. Because of Christ, you know, you're able to have a relationship like with a friend, like, you know, I have to put it in six-year-old terms. It's like, you know how you have relationships with your friends and you can talk to your friends, but because of Jesus, we're able to have that relationship with God, who is the ultimate relationship. You know, that's the big one. And I just remember talking, it was just so awesome. Sorry about the rabbit trail. I just had to mention that because it was awesome. (laughs) I love that in the middle of it's nighttime, everybody's tired, the kids ask questions, they come up with these, I mean, sometimes the theological questions they come up with are just mind-boggling, like, I don't know where you came from, you know, where that came from, but I've learned God is just so faithful with me on helping me to define things to the kids, Mm -hmm. helping to talk to them in terms they can understand, Yeah, and also, you know, if I speak something and then I find out that that is you know not exactly how it is Mm -hmm. like they were my kids were with me through the whole Todd White thing yeah they remember my bad theology throughout through that so it's not just relearning stuff for myself but going over stuff with them and it's really cool how God gives us the grace to do that I love hearing your stories about your kids being like, oh, it's them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They do that when they hear, when Audrey hears anything that's Bethel, she'll point it out before she'll point out stuff and I'll go, oh, that's not Bethel. And then you look at it and it's the record. They're like affiliated with Bethel and, you know, Bethel writes some of their music or, and the repetitiveness. Yeah. She gets really irritated by, just the same thing over and over and over again yeah but i guess we'll get back on track now but i just (laughs) (laughs) but i wanted to start talking like going further into the old testament leah had mentioned job and we see from chapter 38 like what you were talking about chapter 38 is where I had like my aha moment and it was very humbling. Like I was talking about how humbling it is to be like, oh, God is mighty. God is like so sovereign and he's so powerful and he has the power, like I've mentioned in previous podcasts, he has the power to send people to hell. He has the power, like we can't look at God like he's some feeble little weak man because he's not man, he's God. But Job 38, this is kind of a lengthy scripture, but I wanted to read this to you because it's so eye-opening. And if you read, I just, I want to encourage you to read Job 38 on because it's God responding to Job after he's lost everything and his family, 
what was it like his home was i mean just he lost everything he lost all of his kids i think the only thing he had left was his wife he -hmm. lost all his animals everything Mm -hmm. like his wife had to have been pretty bad if she was left (laughs) with everything else that happened yeah and it says in Job 38, 12 to 26 is where I'm at. But I, again, encourage you to read all Job 38 on. I mean, read the whole book so it's in context. Just but, don't start at the beginning and stop because yes. you'll miss the best parts if you. Yes, you have to keep <laughs> going, which is kind of where I was. I was just like, man, does this ever end? This man is just so like he's complaining <laughs> so much. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. And his friends were like the worst. Like, <laughs> but it, It says, have you commanded the morning since your last days began and caused the dawn to know its place, that it might take hold of the skirts of the earth and the wicked be shaken out of it? It is changed like clay under the seal and its features stand out like a garment. From the wicked, their light is withheld and their uplifted arm is broken. Have you entered into the springs of the sea or walked in the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of death been revealed to you? Or have you seen the gates of deep darkness? And I like kind of like the, oh, you puny human. Have you, have you seen <laughs> the gates yeah, of absolutely. darkness? Have you comprehended the expanse of the earth? Declare if you know all this. Where is the way to the dwelling of light? And where is the place of darkness that you may take it to its territory and that you may discern the paths to its home? You know, for you were born then, and the number of your days is great. Have you entered the storehouses of the snow, or have you seen the storehouses of the hail, which I have reserved for the time of trouble, for the day of battle and war? What is the way to the place where the light is distributed, or where the east wind is scattered upon the earth? Who has cleft a channel for the torrents of rain? And a way for the thunderbolt to bring rain on land where no man is, on the desert in which there is no man. And like I said, Job 38 was that turning point for me. I was like, I do not have control over God at all whatsoever. And God's will is God's will. Like he is sovereign. What he says goes. And we cannot wield God's power. We cannot declare God's power. We can't declare God to do anything. And one thing that I've noticed in the church today is people pretending that they have the power to control God. Like what Leah had mentioned was the little blue genie. But that's what they believe that they declare, decree, they control the weather through God's power. It's kind of like they believe it's like when Moses it's like, they, it's kind of like if they were to look at Moses and he put his staff that he did that and not God, that he split the Red Sea. It's just ridiculous. God, That's how the Israelites looked at him, though. Yeah. I was just reading it earlier and it was just amazing how they looked at him like he did the things and not God, you know, yeah. God did that. Moses didn't have a stick and stick it in the water and do that God did that God brought the plagues on Egypt God judges the earth not any puny little man oh and I'm only so frustrated and flustered because I used to believe that one of the things that you're talking about right now is what really irks me with some of the things that are being taught 
okay, so they say that because Jesus was just a man when he was on earth and everything he did was through the Holy Spirit and that he didn't do anything of his own power, which I don't believe that. I mean, that is a bad theology I don't agree with. But part of the problem with that is that they take that and they say, therefore, I can do all the things Jesus did. And one of the things that, you know, when Jesus walked on water or commanded the sea to calm or any of that stuff, one of the things that he was showing is he was God. You know, it wasn't uh, you can do as I can do. It was this is who I am. I can even command the waves. You know, when people say I can do the same things Jesus can do, they're taking the power on themselves. And it's like they act like they are powerful, but it's just the Holy Spirit is in you. It's God. You can't take that credit, you know? Yeah, but they do. They try. And it's disgusting. Like, that's the only thing. It's just and I don't know. I know some of them probably know. But some of them probably don't too. But I am only made holy and righteous through the blood of Jesus, not because of anything I have done, like what you were saying, but because of what Jesus did. I have done nothing to earn, deserve salvation. I have done nothing. Like what Leah said in our our podcast about salvation, which I highly recommend if you're just joining our podcast to go back and listen to our other podcasts. But Leah had mentioned about The only thing we do in salvation is accept Christ. That's the only thing that we do. We can't do anything because we didn't do anything. Jesus did it. So we can't claim any credit, like what you're talking about. They try and take credit for, well, Jesus is in me. So I'm Jesus. I'm God, you know, like that type of mentality. So They're taking credit, but the reason that salvation is so beautiful is because we can't, we didn't do anything to deserve it. We didn't do anything to earn it. God is for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Jesus came for us. So there's nothing that we can do. And God's sovereignty, that's what he did. We can't take credits for his glory. So we can't take credit, but people twist it so they can take credit for God's sovereignty and his glory and his will. So Job 42, two says, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. And I can't remember if you mentioned that verse or not. I think that you might have, or it was something else. Or they just all go together because God knows that we're so stupid that we need a million (laughs) different references to show us his power (laughs) and his might and his glory and his sovereignty. Yeah. Yeah. But in regards to our leaders, you know, judgment will come if we accept evil and live sinfully along with the world and culture. And leaders are to thwart evil and make laws that keep evil doing in check and have some semblance of justice. Because, you know, government justice, this is kind of going into the different, the next step of what we're talking about. But God puts leaders in power, like government is not supposed to be the church, you know, it's separate. But leaders are supposed to, like the leaders that God, you know, God's governmental, I don't know, purpose is for them to maintain justice, put evil in check. 
So my view is that if a leader, they're in power because God knows it's like I said before, it's not like God is surprised that this person came to power, but I believe that if they do not uphold justice and thwart evil, that they would fall under judgment. Absolutely. Like Nebuchadnezzar. Yeah. Like if you don't do my will, if you, you know, rebel against God and you allow evil and you promote evil, like the current administration, you promote evil, you promote injustice, true, you know, according to the Bible, not according to the culture, um, you promote evil and you're not thwarting evil, you fall under judgment. And I don't know. And that's the thing. Maybe you can clarify, Leah. I don't know if that's the whole like nation or if that's just the person in the government. Well, I think that depends on God and what he feels is necessary. Yeah. You know, he judges in so many different ways. And a lot of times, you know, you have some Christians who are not willing to say anything about it could be a judgment from God. And then you have others that are saying this is a judgment from God. And you know what? Neither really know. Cause I don't know God's heart. Yeah. So, you know, he can take any evil that is done and use it for his glory, yeah. use it for his purpose. So it's not that he's going to cause the evil, but he allows these evil rulers mm-hmm. and he works through the things that happen in order to fulfill his will. And it's not a surprise. No, not at all. Cause he knows the beginning from the end. Yeah. So he knows all of what's going to happen. Yeah. And they think that, you know, I just, this has been so like, first of all, the sovereignty of God is supposed to bring us peace. And I see so many people that are not at peace, which is why I think we decided to do this podcast because even if we don't understand it, God does. And that should bring us peace that we don't have to worry about what's going on because God is not surprised. We don't know all the workings of everything that's happening in the world. We don't know the hearts of man, but God knows. God knows the hearts of man. He knows. I don't want to be in control. I don't either. I, that's, that would be exhausting. And if you do that, if you are trying to like, cause I have to, I've had to step back from, reading so many articles and finding out, like, I I think that we should be informed, but I think when it makes us anxious and we're like, what can I do? Oh my gosh, what can I do? That's when we need to stop and go to the word (laughs) because we don't know what to do, but God does. And God knows what's going on. He will be brought to glory every time. So whatever that means and whatever that ends up being, it's God's will and his glory evil will be exposed. I hope that people are, you know, but it's like, um, justice is mine. What is it? Isn't that justice? Vengeance is mine, is mine says the Lord. Mine, says the Lord. And there's things that we have no control over and there's nothing you can do and you're not going to have control over everything. So vengeance is, but good. I'm so glad that I don't have control because I would screw everything up. Yep. Me too. I mean, if I had all the things that I thought I wanted, I would have a terrible life right now. Yeah. And God, I mean, God gives me things that I'm like, I don't want that. And then I get it and I'm like, oh, that is like amazing. I can't believe how awesome that is, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And another way to talk about God's sovereignty and his glory 
is if like you look at the progression of Joseph's life, and this was something mentioned by um, R.C. Sproul, and he was talking about the progression. It was so beautiful how he put it. It was just so beautiful how he said this, the progression of Joseph's, because without the coat, the jealousy, the imprisonment, the famine, Joseph being in Egypt, then the Israelites being enslaved, the great exodus wouldn't have happened and the way things are today would not be as they are. So just think of that, all that, all that horrible stuff that happened though, God still was brought the glory. Everything is so perfectly placed and where it's supposed to be. <laughs> Even if it seems like, you know, the Jews, like just think about what they were thinking, like, cause you know, earlier on, like when you read about Joseph, Israel was in a good spot in Egypt until that new ruler came into power. And he's like, I don't like these Jews. These, well, they're Israelites. I don't like these Israelites because. And he didn't know who Joseph was. He didn't remember Joseph. Cause wasn't it like a hundred to 400 years later or something? And he's like, they're too big. They're going to overpower me. And so he got in his heart and in his mind, I'm going to enslave them and break them down because they're going to, there's so many that they're going to turn on me and overtake me. You know, that fear that, what, what Pharaoh was that? I can't remember, but you know, it was just really interesting. Cause like put, that was put in his heart to do all those things and all that horrible, all those horrible things happened. And, you know, it starts with Joseph and the coat without the coat, there wouldn't be the jealousy from the brothers, the brothers being jealous and, you know, selling him to the Midianites into slavery in Egypt then he came into the house of Potiphar and then there was the false Potiphar's wife, Potiphar's wife, the false allegation. He was thrown in prison and he still served the Lord and all of those things. And he still was prayerful. And then the two servants who had dreams and he was left in prison still, they got, one of them was killed and the other guy got out and he's like, mention me, you know, keep me in mind. Then the Pharaoh had the dream that God placed in his, you know, God gave Pharaoh a dream that only Joseph could interpret. And there was the famine that came. He put Joseph in charge. He was secondhand to Pharaoh. What is he? He like, what do they call that? Wasn't he the, um, what do they call that? I don't remember, but I love during that video, the way that he lays it out because he keeps saying, well, it just so happened. It just so happened that this happened. And then it just so happened. Yeah. I just loved his sense of humor through it. He has a really good sense of humor. He cracks me up. I had never listened to RC Sprawl until I started doing research on this podcast. I've seen quotes and (laughs) this sounds so bad. I'm like, wait, he's still alive. This is still sermons I can watch (laughs) because I I think he died actually. Oh, he did. He, I can look that up. I'm going to look that up. Um, but it's just listening to his stuff was just such a blessing because he does have a funny sense of humor. And he's like, it just so happened that the Israelites became enslaved. And then it just so happened that Moses, you know, killed the Egyptian guard who was, you know, beating an Israelite, but someone saw it. I remember he's like, but someone saw. And so he ran yeah. to Gideon and yeah, he, he died in 2017. Oh man, because there's a lot of I know no more, no no more more stuff. (laughs) But you know, it's just 
the beauty of everything. Well, I think I just saw R.C. Sproul was like from earlier, like the 20s and the 1800s or something, because I saw the quotes and I guess his name, R.C. Sproul, just reminds me of Spurgeon. Like, you know what yeah. I mean? Like Spurgeon and Sproul and like all those people. So I think I just put them in the same time frame, and I'm like, wait, recently? Like, <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh, I could have been watching this all along. Like, it's just like, you know, anyway. For the people who watch him, he is a, a Calvinist. So he, there's yeah. certain, there's certain things about the stuff that he says that um, I can't say is right or wrong. I could just say, I don't necessarily agree with, yes, he but is he not. is, he is totally doctrinally like reads the word this is what the word says and um i totally think he's a a brother in christ you know yeah isn't body bachman a calvinist a lot of the people we listen to are yeah i mean i know he's reformed um i think we a lot of the people are either calvinists or lutherans that we listen to (laughs) (laughs) but they just cherish the word like they take it seriously they don't mishandle scripture and they call things out for what they are. They call a spade a spade. Like they do not mess around with what, I mean, and that's why I just, I listen to them because I think uh, Mike Winger is, he's a Calvary Chapel pastor, but I think he's the only like charismatic that we listen to that we trust is Mike Winger. I don't know about Elisa. He's pretty awesome. I wanted to mention the scripture though, because when it comes to like Joseph, going back to that, the lot is cast into the lap but it's every direction is from the Lord. And that's Proverbs 16, 33. So God is sovereign. <laughs> and yeah, even the lot. Yes. Well, I wanted to say when you were talking about Joseph, mm-hmm. um, there is a verse that I wanted to just put out there. Genesis fifty twenty. It says, as for you, you meant evil against me but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present present result to preserve many people alive. So no matter what evil people do, God can use that to bring about his plan. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, he can use anything and he does. I mean, people do evil and he can take that and just make it a blessing to us in the end. So I just wanted to say in conclusion that I believe we're so very lucky that God is good and holy and kind, that he is loving and personal because in his sovereignty, he can do as he pleases. And if he were an evil God, there would be nothing we could do to stop him, but he's not evil. Everything he does is right and good, even when it may not look that way to us in our puny, finite little minds. If evil is done, we know it doesn't come from him, but he's so amazing that he uses all for our good. He allows evil, but shapes us through it. He works through every situation to bring about some good to purify us and sanctify us, to make us look more like his son and be the people that he made us to be. Perfection isn't able to be grasped this side of heaven, But through God's word and his circumstances, he refines us. So get into your Bible so you can hear his voice through his word and know what's good and acceptable and pleasing so you can see his sovereignty and have a healthy fear of him. 
so you can gain wisdom and understanding and correction, so you can rest assured that he is at work even through the things that others mean as evil. He can bring out good. He can work through this pandemic and all the scary stuff that's happening. So get in the word. Even if you don't have time or feel like the Bible is just so big, start at the beginning Mm -hmm. and read it no matter how slowly all the way through. And as long as you're seeking him with a heart wanting him, you're going to find him and he's going to open up his word to you. Sometimes it takes a foundation and sometimes you go through the Bible and you go, oh, there's these things that are amazing. And then you read it again and you go, oh, I didn't catch this to begin with. Mm-hmm. And I think that we need to understand one thing before he builds on top of that the next, you know? Yeah. So just stay in the word. I love everything you said, because even real quick, though, because in regards to the pandemic in the world, the state of the world, nothing is a surprise to God. And it always brings me back to Ecclesiastes that nothing is new under the sun. So to us, it's new, but to God, it's, a, it's so repetitive. The world is the same as it was at the beginning. The sin in the world is the same as it was at the beginning. <laughs> nothing has changed. So in regards to the pandemic and everything in the state of the world and this, all this stuff and all the noise, just know that God is going to work through all of it for his good, for our good and for his glory. If you would close us in prayer, Leah. Dear Heavenly Father, we are so just in awe of you, Lord. We're so grateful for you. And thank you for loving us and taking care of us. Thank you for just creating us, Lord, and teaching us through your word who you want us to be and how you want us to be. Um, Thank you for not just making the world and walking away but being a personal God who walks with us and lives in us and helps us to be the people you want us to be. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen.